Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, this is Tony Enzer, President and General Manager of your Amarillo Sod Poodles, and you're listening to Tom Talks Baseball. And welcome back. Another edition of the Sod Poodles Spotlight on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast on KGNCNewsNow.com and 1009TheEagle.com. Uh, I'm Tom Young. I'm David Lovejoy. Uh, we're back with you again. And uh, for the first time on the Sod Poodles Spotlight, we do not have Tony Enzer. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've been chatting heck? with Tony, learning about what the, the team is doing here in town to get ready. But what about the players that are going to actually be stepping inside Hodgetown. What kind of talent are we going to see? I got a guy on the phone right now that you can tell a us guy? a whole lot about that. Uh, <laughs> David J., uh, he's with this group called the Mad Friars. He's been there since 2005. He's had articles published in Baseball America, has done a monthly column for Fox Sports San Diego. You've done a, a lot of radio interviews and podcasts like us. Uh, you're a very busy guy, David. Thank you for taking time out today to join us on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. Oh, Tom, thanks so much for the chance to do it. It's uh, good to get connected to the folks in Amarillo and uh, start to look ahead to 2019. Yeah, and, and before we get to the minors, something happened on Tuesday. What happened, and, and I, think, I think we're going to start there real quick. Uh, you guys got something Manny Machado. I didn't yeah. hear anything. <laughs> you guys got Manny Machado, you know, and it, it was rumored for the last you know week or a couple weeks, but when the offseason started, at no point did we ever think that he or Harper was going to go to San Diego, but you guys landed Manny Machado. Uh, what's your thoughts on that move? What What is San Diego's thought on that move? Well, I think the the fan base is nothing short of ecstatic about it. Um, you know, it, it has been a rough run for for San Diego sports fans in general over the last few years with the Chargers' departure, and uh, certainly for Padres fans. Uh, you know, the last decade has has been a tough one to swallow as the organization's gone through three different ownership groups and four different GMs, and so to see a long-term commitment like that, you know, last last winter the Padres kind of swooped in late and and signed the biggest free agent on the market last winter in Eric Hosmer. I think that was encouraging for Padres fans, but not really the same level as when you get somebody who truly does have a chance to be the next guy who goes into the Hall of Fame wearing a Padres hat. So I think the the enthusiasm is high um, and and really put the Padres back on a trajectory where you can start to see a, a path to the playoffs for the big league club, even if this year isn't isn't the year they make that jump. And I think that got a lot of folks excited at a time that they have not been. Well, and another thing that could get them excited is uh, a new report. Uh, Primetime Sports on Twitter came out last night saying that uh, if the Padres can match what the Phillies offered, he'd choose San Diego. And Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. Yeah. How nuts would that be for the Padres <laughs> if they were to get both of the big guys this offseason? I, I think that uh, it it's probably a good thing I'm not a betting man because if somebody had come to me and – that we'd be having this conversation today last month, uh, I, I would have gladly put down all of my life savings on, on not having that discussion. So uh, we'll we'll just see where things play out from here. 
So definitely a lot of excitement uh, with the parent ball club there in San Diego. But we're going to talk about the minor leagues today a little bit because we here in Amarillo for the first time in forever have an affiliated ball team. Uh, the Sod Poodles, affiliated with the Padres. They are the double uh, A team. Uh, before we get there, uh, David, tell us a little bit about Mad Friars. I think this is a great resource for the baseball fan. And let me ask you this question, David J. Are, are you a native San Diegoan? Uh, is that why you're a Padres fan? Or did, how did you get involved in, in following the Padres like this? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am based here in San Diego. I'm, I wasn't born here, but definitely a San Diego kid. Um, and so Matt Fryers started up now, what, a little bit over 15 years ago, uh, in the dark ages where we, you know, where we published to the internet by, uh, by stone chisel. So, <laughs> um, you know, and, and our beat has always been the minor league system of the organization. Um, and, so I think at this point we've probably got tenure compared to just about everybody in the organization. Um, we we cover the system up and down, both the players uh, as well as the player development staff. We uh, we we for years have done on-site reporting from each of the affiliates from spring training. We'll be headed out there shortly. Uh, you know, from the 17-year-olds who are coming stateside for the first time right through guys uh, as they reach the big leagues and, and you know, sort of have that chance to take the next step of their careers. Uh, we, we always figure that getting off of our beat should be a really good goal for the guys in the upper levels of the minor league system because uh, once they're on to the big leagues, they're, they're really, for the most part, out of our uh, reporting coverage. But, uh, you know, we've been around. We're, we're at madpriors.com. A uh, group of us who, you know, it's a second project for each of us. We all got some different backgrounds in uh, reporting and or baseball and or both. And, uh, you know, John Conniff, who's been doing it as long as, longer than any of us, uh, back since he was only about 85 years old a decade and a half ago. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and we get a chance to, you know, there there have been some dark days in uh, the Padres minor league system where there wasn't a whole lot of talent to write about. That has not been an issue for the last couple of years. And um, you know, as you look to what's what's really hitting in Amarillo this year, and that you'll see coming through there in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, from a from a talent on the field perspective, uh, your fan base there in Amarillo is likely to see as much uh, high end potential big league star talent as as any individual team in the minor leagues in the next 18 to 36 months. So going to have a lot of excitement from a the hardcore baseball fan mm-hmm. standpoint with the talent we're going to see. And let's just start right off the top. Uh, more than likely, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, you, David, uh, f- about a week or so ago, came out with your top 30 prospect list at madfriars.com. Subscribe there if you have it. A lot of great stuff if you want to follow some of the players we're going to be seeing here in town. And uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is number one on your list. He's number one on a lot of people's list when it comes to Padre prospects. He was in Double A last year, uh, suffered the thumb injury, I believe, while uh, sliding into a base, missed uh, the, the end of the season, but had a pretty good showing. He's still very young. Uh, th- talk about his play a little bit and is there any chance we're going to see him in Amarillo, or, or do you think he's moved on to El Paso? Yeah, so I, I don't think you're going to get a chance to see him. Uh, he, he's probably starting the year in El Paso, depending on exactly 
uh, how strong a showing he has in spring training this year. And given that the timeline for the big league club has been accelerated with Machado coming in, it is possible you might even see him break with the big league club. But I suspect he'll open the year in El Paso. Uh, you know, in terms of what he brings to the table, he is a, a true value uh, at the plate, in the field, on the base pads, and has the chance to really impact the game in all three of those places. Uh, you know, big time power, a little bit of swing and miss at the plate, but but certainly as the game has shifted that way over the last few years, uh, it, it, nothing that's out of line from what you'd expect to see. Uh, he's a true shortstop. Uh, for a while, there were questions about whether he'd outgrow the position. He really, over the last couple of years, as he's become you know the ripe old age of almost twenty now, um, you know he's he has matured physically in a way that's really going to let him stay on the position for the foreseeable future. He is a dynamic player, especially you know be, being able to move laterally either direction. He's a dynamic player in terms of his aggressiveness and ability to take an extra base, uh, both as a batter and as a runner. Um, he is really exciting to see, and there's a reason he's you know, in the top three of every major prospect list in, in, in the country at this point. Yeah, I was reading some of those uh, stories about his uh, whether it was a shortstop or third base, mm-hmm. but now you got Machado, who last right. year was all about yeah. being shortstop. Uh, does Machado, you think, move to third now because of Tatis, or do you think Tatis can adjust and be the third baseman? That way you get them both on the field. I suspect that you see Machado slide in at third base. I think, you know, when you when you look at where they both are in their careers, uh, what Machado's shown at third base over the last few years, I think it makes perfect sense to have him be the guy who's there. Um, you know, if, uh, if the Padres elect not to have Tatis open the year with the big league club and give him a little bit of time in AAA. Uh, you might see uh, Machado open the year at shortstop. You could also see uh, Luis Urias, who's another uh, really talented prospect who's going to be a second baseman ultimately. But you know, if the club needs somebody to hold the fort at the position for a couple of weeks, uh, you could certainly see Urias slide over there as well. David, let me ask you this. Uh, you said the uh, Padres had gone through a couple of ownership changes. It, it, this league is a monkey-see-monkey-do kind of league, and we've seen some of the, the, the premier teams like the Yankees, the Sox. Uh, we know the for, uh, the fortunes of the uh, Astros and it, a couple of years back, Kansas City. The investment in minor league baseball. Was it this new group that came in that decided to, to, to try to build from within and start and build young players? The missions last year were a contending team in their division and are just a few years out from winning a crown and double and, and A ball. It, it was it the new ownership group that kind of changed the thought in the program? Well, I, I think really they're the last regime, well, tough to keep track <laughs> how many different groups have been in. But, uh, you know, when, when uh, Jed Hoyer was the general manager of the club, uh, they certainly were were in the process of building, uh, in in his image, a uh, uh, frontline minor league system. Uh, when AJ Preller arrived, uh, which is <laughs> it, uh, four and a half years ago now, uh, you you saw a big turnover. He of course had that big off season uh, splurge where he traded off a number of their their high end prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
sort of took a shot at it. So it's, it's not necessarily new, but, but what you've seen is with a lot of transition every three years, it's really hard to build a system from the right. ground up. Uh, the, the Preller organization now really has had the time to do that. They made a heavy investment in 2016 on the international market. Um, and, and were really aggressive in the draft for his first couple of years. So now that group of players has had enough time to, to come together and their player development staff has had time together to, to, to really look at a cohesive way of bringing guys up and through the system and to the big league level. And what are you going to prioritize in terms of skill base, in terms of tools that you're going to focus on? And so now that there's a little bit of consistency, it really lets the, the organization give guys time and space to develop. Well, and it looks like, uh, at least from uh, the bats, the offensive standpoint, you got a lot of the, the top guys in the system are AAA or there. They're very close to the Padres, whereas the pitchers are maybe a year or two behind. And uh, with that in mind, could be a lot of fun for us here in Amarillo. Right. And one guy that uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about is Mackenzie Gore. And uh, just yeah. lo- looking a little bit about him, he's number two on your top 30 list. And uh, his high school numbers are ridiculous. <laughs> he, he had a point oh eight. ERA his junior year in high school, and then he struggled his senior year with a point one nine oh ERA. Boy. Oh my gosh! You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I believe he gave up three total earned runs in his uh, varsity career. That is wow. insane. I'm, and uh, you know, statistically, maybe hasn't translated yet to uh, the minor leagues. You know, mid fours at Fort Wayne last year had some blister issues, but obviously, despite numbers like that, he's high on your list. What can you tell us about Mackenzie Gore and what makes him special? Well, I think it's for him, it's really a combination of the advanced abilities he already has as a teenager, and then you pair it with the athleticism that allows you to project what he's going to be a couple years down the line. And he really does have all the tools to be a front-line big league starter. Um, you know, it, it, I've been doing this long enough that I remember watching Madison Baumgartner uh, on his showcase circuit before his senior year of high school. And there are certainly um, some pretty strong parallels there between those two guys. Uh, Gore is a big athletic kid. He will uh, almost certainly open the year in Lake Elsinore, the high A level, uh, just a step down below you guys. But, um, you know, assuming that his, his blister problems are behind him, I know the organization would really love to accelerate his timeline, uh, and and if you see him putting up good numbers in the Cal League, uh, I would expect that that you guys will get a chance to see him by the middle of the summer. Wow! Well, another guy who yeah. uh, who did see Double A last year and near the end, uh, Chris Paddock. Uh, ended up winning the uh, a Milby, uh, one mm-hmm. of the minor yeah. league awards, pitcher of the year. Incredible numbers between uh, high A and double A last year. Only eight walks. Whoa! Uh, yeah. So great control. Been uh, heard he's got one of the better. I think he's the one of the best changeups. I think I've heard in the minors. Uh, what can you tell us a bit about Chris Paddock outside of his uh, pre-game ritual that uh, Philip Wellman told us about <laughs> with his uh, his his outfit his before back coming black. to the ballpark? <laughs> yeah. Chris is uh, definitely proud of his Texas roots and uh, is, is a lot of fun. Uh, he is one of the most intense competitors uh, you will ever see on a field. Uh, 
you know, he he has a fastball that he can spot to any of the four quadrants of the plate in the mid nineties. He can dial back for a little bit more, and then, like you said, he's got a changeup to match. Um, you know, the the question in terms of how far he how how high his ceiling is really comes down to how much he can spin a curveball. I think uh, you know you haven't seen it in game settings yet. There are times that it flashed in bullpens and, and working on the side. And uh, I would not bet against his ability to do uh, just about anything on baseball fields. So I think he's a guy who's going to be a lot of fun to watch. He's in big league camp right now. He was added to the 40-man roster. Uh, probably going to open the year in El Paso. But uh, you may get a chance briefly to see him in San Antonio uh if the organization decides to slow play just a little bit because he is going to still have some innings limits on him this year. Well, if that's the case, maybe he'll be the opening day starter. Right. You know, really, if, yeah. if he gets that a starter too. Uh, Adrian Morjohn is also high on your list. Uh, another guy who just, uh, he has a birthday coming up in about six days. Happy birthday early to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, guy who had some injury issues uh, out of Cuba. Uh, but has had some great success so far in the minors. What can you tell us about Adrian? Yeah, so Morahone was was really one of the most high-profile of those guys in that 2016 uh, international free agent class. Uh, under the old rules that, that have since gone gone away, organizations were able to go above uh, the spending limits, but they would face penalties if they did it. Um, the Padres kind of decided to to pool all of their resources to make a massive splash in 2016. And so they did that both with the traditional 16-year-old international free agents, but also some of the older Cuban kids who were available at that point. Uh, Morajon got $11 million in the club paid, a a penalty of the same amount to sign him uh, as a really advanced feel left-handed pitcher. As you mentioned, he's he's just turning 20 next year, so he was – uh, and he, he was or next week rather. Sorry, um, he's been in the organization now for a couple of years. Shows a big fastball. He can. He had shelved a curveball in 2017. We saw it again last year, uh, and a change. Really, I think the the big outstanding question on him, like you said, is health. He's had a series of minor injuries that have have had him on and off the field. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who doubts his ability to be an impact pitcher when he's on the field, and uh, he would be my odds-on favorite to be the opening day starter for you all uh, mm-hmm. when, when the season opens in April. Wow. Well, you, you mentioned a few of these guys having injury issues, and, and a few more I want to touch on. I think that's kind of the, the same issue with them, is that they're struggling to get through a full season. Do the Padres, are they concerned about you know they got the great talent, but they can't seem to stay healthy. Is that an issue for them right now? I, I don't think it really is. I mean, when you look at at how player development across Major League Baseball works, injury attrition is a is a major part of the reality of it. And as you get guys who are going from sixteen if they're international, eighteen if they're if they're from the states, twenty one if they've gone through a college program. As those guys are maturing and taking on a different workload, the reality is you're going to see in any given year 
a solid percentage of, of guys across the organization who have uh, injuries, whether they are short-term issues that don't really impact what, what you might expect long-term, you know, a blister issue for, for Mackenzie Gore, for example, versus guys who are going to wind up having Tommy John surgery, going to wind up with surger- surgery on their shoulders. And it's just, it's just a part of how you have to plan in building a farm system out. I think uh, there's a lot of work being done kind of across the game on how do you think about building a development path that decreases the likelihood of injury, but there is no agreed-upon answer on that right now. If, if I had it, I'd certainly not be spending my time <laughs> writing on the side. So. Hey, David, a uh, quick question. You've been following uh, prospects, minor league baseball, for a while. In your eye... What usually clicks for a young player first? Is it the glove? Is it the bat? Is it the mound? What tends to be the, the, the thing that comes shining through for a young player in their development and gets them to the bigs? Is, is it, which one of those elements usually clicks first for them? I don't know that there's a single answer to that. I think probably what you see as one of the early signs that somebody's going to be able to take those steps level by level is somebody who's you, who's who's able to fail and not have it demolish them? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about if you're talking about a kid who was a first or second round pick coming out of high school. This is a guy who, by and large, since the time he was eight years old, just by virtue of showing up at the field, is the best guy there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talk about a Mackenzie Gore who, even though he was on the showcase circuit and in in his junior and senior years of high school. Like you said, this guy gave up three earned runs over two years of pitching in it for his high school and, and carried his school to a state championship in North Carolina. That's not how he's going to get through his, his professional career. He's going to run into to <laughs> hitters who, despite everything he does, are going to hit him. And how those guys adjust the first time they run into a level of competition and failure that they've never experienced is a big part of it. And and I don't know how well you can project it until it happens. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, but it is absolutely, I think a big piece of it. You see guys who, you know, at, at a ball level hitters who are able to be selective enough that they are consistently hitting hitters pitches at the A-ball level, who as they jump to double-A, all of a sudden pitchers who are in hitters counts have enough of a feel for spinning the ball or, or throwing a change-up in a fastball count that as soon as they're facing that level of pitching, they're not able to, to make the adjustments so that they're continuing to swing at their pitch rather than the pitch's pitch. That's another thing that you'll, you'll see pretty quickly, I think, at that double-A level. Who are the guys who are um, feasting on mistakes, who are going to struggle to take the, their successes to a level where they're not going to get enough mistakes to to be able to live on just those? That's a piece that you'll see uh, on, on the hitting side in terms of a, a development path that's, I think, important to watch for. 
Well, you definitely got some pitchers that hopefully won't be making a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, really highly rated. And, and one that has my attention is Michael Baez, because I'm looking forward to yes. just seeing this six foot eight monster on the wow. mound, uh, just pumping gas, you know, mm-hmm. and like, you know, kind of Randy Johnson esque, you know, just that size, that intimidation. Uh, what can you tell us about Michael Baez? Yeah, well, he is, he is indeed a big, Big dude, uh, another another Cuban. He signed a little bit later in that 2016 uh, splurge. So if, if you know anybody in town who sells plantains, the Cuban delegation will definitely be looking for them. Uh, <laughs> and and Morjon Baez and uh, Ronald Bolaños are all Cuban pitchers who I would expect to see their opening day. Uh, Baez is a guy who you know really took the the Midwest League, the low A level by storm in 2017. Uh, big fastball, uh, a really uh, an impressive curve that he was able to work out of that same release point. And if you've got a guy who's throwing 98 from the downhill plane that he has, who then can start a curveball in the exact same release point, uh, that that is not something that many low A hitters are able to, to deal with. Uh, last year he was he struggled a little bit with a back injury before camp opened. Uh, never really seemed to be fully on his game, and the the question is whether that's a lingering issue or if that's a reality for a guy who is growing into that mass of a frame as a twenty two year old. Uh, when he's on, he is unhittable. Uh, he. But the question is whether you're going to see that 97-98 velocity we saw in, in 2017 or if he's going to be sitting more 93 like he was for parts of last season. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be, of the of the pitchers in the minor league camp, probably the most interesting to watch this spring because I think we'll know pretty quickly which version of, of him we're going to see for the season. Uh, but he's another guy I would expect. You know, that pitching staff, the rotation, you're going to see Morahone, you're going to see Baez, you're going to see Reggie Lawson, who I actually think could be a guy who shoots up national lists in this coming year, uh, was drafted out of high school back in 2016, uh, really showed some, some flashes of being a guy who could be an anchor starter last year. Then he ran into some, uh, I think, Stamina issues in the course of the summer, pitching in Lake Elsinore, but uh, by the end of the year was flashing a, a slider that we hadn't previously seen. And I think he, who will probably be the number three starter on that staff, is a guy who will be getting a lot of talk by the end of the year. So it sounds like a good news for us here in Amarillo. We're going to have some incredible pitching uh, to start yeah. things off uh, for the inaugural sod poodle season. But uh, we got to look at the offense a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of the big guys in the Padres farm system, like we said early on, they've maybe are at AAA or they're on the big league club right now. And so maybe not as deep as the pitching staff when it comes to uh, the AA or lower level. Uh, one guy that I've heard a little bit about is Hudson Potts, uh, potential power guy. Um, I, I, and I got another question for you of when you get done talking about him. But tell us a little bit about Hudson Potts, who I believe is also a, a Texas guy, right? He is indeed. He was a, a first-round pick in 2016 out of high school. He's really young for his his high school class. He was 17 until 
the October after he was drafted is when he finally turned 18. Uh, so came out really young, uh, right-handed guy who is showed enough development at third base last year that I think he's going to stay there. There had been some questions about as he got bigger whether he'd be able to stay or if he'd need to move over to first base. Uh, I was impressed at the way he developed uh, both on, on some of the routine stuff and, and hands and footwork, but also uh, some of his lateral movement last year. So I think he'll stay put at third base. Um, you know, He's probably the prospect most impacted by Machado joining the organization. Uh, when you looked across the system, the one position that you didn't really have a clear answer who's going to be a big league starter for them was a third base. Uh, that that does appear to no longer be a question. So uh, it'll be curious to see how his development this year uh, potentially positions him as uh, maybe a, a, a trade candidate as, as the club looks to strengthen the big league roster or a guy who shows that, that he's got enough of a bat that he can uh, potentially move to one of the other corner spots on the field. Yeah, you, I you, think, you know, so you kind of beat ahead. me to my next question uh, about the trade prospect, uh, because uh, he, yes. he's a guy that could you know develop into some power, mm-hmm. which, you know, you got the yeah. power nowadays, you, you know, people got an eye on you. Uh, you said first base possibly, but you got Hosmer there mm-hmm. with the Padres. Do you think he could be an outfielder? Uh, I think... If his bat is what it could potentially be, there are a lot of you would put up with him in the outfield. Absolutely, um, you know. I think for him, it really is a case of where can he get with the bat, making sure that that he's taking enough pitches that the power plays on a regular basis, that he's able to get the keep the bat in the zone a little bit longer. Uh, but if if he hits the way he's capable of, which is uh, as he really finds his swing with, with the size, he grew an immense amount between 2016 and, and last year. Uh, I think this is the year you're going to see him consistently get to the ball in a way that he hasn't in the past. And if he does, then, then the position will sort itself out. Another guy uh, I was kind of uh, curious about, and he's not actually on your list, I don't think, is uh, Buddy Reed. And uh, Buddy Reed had a really good fall. He got the uh, All-Star Game MVP by uh, driving in Vlad Guerrero Jr. and I think scoring ultimately the game-winning run in that ball game. He had a really good year in high A last year, struggled when he got to double A. Uh, but he's a he's a fast guy, and w- when talking with Philip Wellman, he loves being able to run. And, yeah. and Buddy Reed's going to be a guy that can run like the wind. It sounds like. Uh, well, why uh, isn't Reed higher on your list? And, and what is uh, what do you like about him? Yeah, so he is one of the most dynamic athletes, uh, not just in the organization, but really when you look across the game. He was a three sport athlete in high school, uh, which included. Hockey. He's a standout hockey player. Uh, wound up up in the Northeast at a boarding school playing for their hockey team up there, and and baseball sort of came along behind that for him. So if uh, if if there's an ice rink in town, they might have a good potential tie in there. Uh, but you know, when you look at him, he is dynamic. He's got great raw power, although it doesn't really translate in his game at this point. Uh, he was a guy who, 
when he was recruited to University of Florida and even going into his junior year, he was a popular pick for somebody who would put it all together and become a, a first-round pick. That never really happened with him. Even his junior year, his draft year, was uh, a little bit of a disappointment performance-wise. Uh, he wound up, the Padres wound up taking him in the second round, uh, which, you know, certainly is a reflection on, on what his ceiling could be. But the fact that he was still there in the second round is a reflection on, on how that's translated so far. Uh, like you said, he had a, a, a really fantastic start to his year, uh, playing in Lake Elsinore last year. I think, um, some of that, you see a lot of doubles, a lot of triples, uh, even the home runs. A lot of those are extra bases that he took against high A outfielders that he's not going to get a chance to get going forward. Um, you know, he had three inside the park homers, uh, that I wouldn't expect to be more than doubles anywhere else, which certainly isn't a knock on him. But, but when you look at the numbers versus what you see in his day to day performance, uh, they're probably 15 to 18 extra bases you could take off the board there. Uh, he is a switch hitter who showed an impressive ability to make an adjustment to his swing coming into last season, but he's going to have to make another big one if he's going to be able to continue to succeed against higher-level pitching. That's my big question mark on him. I actually think he and Edward Olivares are a really dynamic outfield combination. Uh, Olivares is the guy who pushed him off of center field to the corner when they were sharing an outfield in Elsinore last year. I expect you'll see that again. And he's a guy who I'm uh, higher on than I think most observers. Uh, he's a little bit older than you ex- would expect to see uh, from a guy who's at the back end of, of my list. He'll be uh, 23 by the time the season opens mm. and has never really put things together as, as well. Uh, but the Padres acquired him in a trade from Toronto straight up for big leaguer uh, Jan Hervis Solarte going into last season. And I actually think he might be able to make his tool set work a little bit better uh, in the upper levels than, than Reed does. They're, they're two different ways of getting at being interesting outfield prospects. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to bet on Olivares just a little bit more. Who else on the uh, offensive side do you think will be uh, stepping foot in Amarillo to start 2019 that we should uh, keep an eye on? Uh, well, I think you'll see a couple of guys who are on the 40-man roster. Uh, catcher Luis Torrens, who was a uh, Rule 5 pick. So he spent the 2017 season with the big league club. He was completely miscast there uh, and was back at, at a much more appropriate level in high A last year. He is a guy who's, when he's on and engaged and and really has things clicking, is a really talented receiver who has some pop at the plate. Uh, he, he There are times that you didn't see it, those things coming together for him, but I think he'll be an interesting guy to watch. Uh, you know, Olivares, like I said, is on the, the 40-man roster as well, which you know, will give him some priority as, uh, as the season goes on. Uh, you know, those are the key guys who I think will be there at the start of the year. The part that's going to be interesting for you all, like you said, the, the first wave of position players 
has is already above the double A level. Mm-hmm. But the next wave of position guys who are likely to start the year in Lake Elsinore uh, are some really dynamic guys. That's that's where the bulk of that 2016 signing class uh, internationally resides with outfielders like uh, Jason Rosario and, and Tirso Ornelas, who are both exciting players, an infield that's going to start in Elsinore this year that's entirely teenagers. Um, and some of those guys are going to put up numbers in the first half that, that are going to force their way to Amarillo by the second half. And that's going to start a second wave of position guys who have the chance to really impact games uh, on both sides of the ball and who are going to be the guys who the the Padres organization relies on both to come up behind these guys and likely become the the key elements of trades that the Padres execute over the next two years to add to their big league roster. So I think that's what you'll start to see position-wise is really the second half of this year and into 2020. Sounds like the uh, Amarillo's getting the Padres double-A team at a really good time. Yeah. A lot, lot of great talent uh, getting ready to come up to help out the Padres down the road. Uh, one final question. Thank you again for being on with this, uh, David. Uh, this Machado deal on Tuesday. We know the Padres are rebuilding, and this year is still going to be a rebuild because a lot of the pitchers you're banking on for the future are still down in the minors. Does this kind of speed it up a little bit and maybe put a little pressure on? Like, say the Padres get off to like uh, you know a thirty and fifteen start, just you know hypothetical. All of a sudden, it's like, oh my goodness, maybe we're we're ready to go now. Maybe we're better than we thought. Does it put pressure on the organization to maybe move these guys up faster, or do you stay the course for another year or two? That's a really good question. I think uh, you look at the challenge they're going to have to compete at the big league level this year is whether they've got enough quality starting arms. And I do think that you'll see them be creative, uh, probably not the exact same way the Rays were last year in using that opener approach, but I do think you'll see the club be uh, pretty creative in how they get guys who have some upside but aren't ready to throw 180 innings at the big league level this year, how they get them into some big league action. Um, I think... If they were to get off to a good start, it'll be because they're getting early production from uh, not just Machado, but starting to see some answers on which of their outfielders are they going to build around. And that would make it easier for them to be aggressive going into June and the July trade deadline to think about you know which of the guys currently on the big league roster, which of the guys coming up behind them, are they comfortable moving? So I think if if they get off to a fast start, I would not be surprised at all uh, to see them being aggressive and going after pitching on the trade market and uh, really some of those guys that you'll see to open the air in Amarillo become the, the key parts of trades to strengthen the big league roster. Uh, David, let me ask you this. You mentioned the two Cuban gentlemen earlier. How deep are San Diego and overall in minor leagues? Are, are they into the international players? Is that a big uh, push for the Padres organization? Are, are we seeing a lot of Japanese players, Korean players, uh, 
of course, the Cuban players. Are, 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 is that a, a main source of talent for you guys? So the, the Padres under A.J. Preller have been really aggressive internationally. Uh, you know, Preller was, was in the Rangers organization mm-hmm. when they got made their reeling roads uh, internationally. You know, that that whole group of players from Rugnet Odor and and Jerickson Profar, all of those are guys who he was the international scouting director and and doing player development as those guys were coming through the Rangers system. It's where he cut his teeth and certainly has uh, a, a remarkable history. So he he has been aggressive. I think the the Cuban group that you see that in addition like in addition to the Marjon and Baez. Again, you've got Ronald Bolaños, who's another guy who signed as a 20-year-old righty with, with big stuff, who may profile more in the pen. He'll wind up uh, with you guys this year. And, and they also went aggressively after a couple of position guys who haven't come together as much. Uh, you know, I think that was really an intentional decision in 2016 about where could they uh, take make an impact Knowing that they were already planning to blow past the the spending caps at that point, um, and and that was really a one year focus. Mm-hmm. But certainly, when you look at how the Padres have have aggressively pursued talent in Latin America and really built out a, a program on the uh, Pacific Rim, they signed their first international free agent from Taiwan. Uh, in that 2016 group, they were really aggressive with Shohei Otane and probably wound up number two in the bid to bring him stateside last winter. So uh, that that is certainly an area that they have focused on. Uh, one of the things that's interesting walking around in their in their spring training camp is they they have brought in coaching and uh, conditioning and player development guys from programs in Korea, in Japan, in Taiwan, and doing some real interesting information sharing back and forth, and I know that's an area that they continue to focus on. So uh, certainly they skew heavier than some organizations internationally, but you know, when you look across the game, it truly is an international yeah. sport at this point. Yeah, everyone's diving into the international market. A lot of great players, yeah. a lot of great prospects uh, coming. The Padres doing just that. And because of that, uh, one final question for you, David. Thank you again for being on. But uh, Baseball America, they named the Padres the number one farm system in all of baseball for 2019, uh, which I think a lot of people agree with. They have an interesting stat here. Since 2005, 13 of the 14 teams that have been named the number one farm system have gone on to make the playoffs within the next two seasons. Do you think the Padres are going to make the playoffs in either 19 or 20? Well, I I think 19 is pretty tough to see. Uh, But 2020 seems like a pretty reasonable time frame for them to be pushing their way into the playoffs. And certainly that uh, Machado signing is very much about how they position themselves, not just in 2020, but in the years beyond that. Um, you know, like I said, Matt Fryers has been covering the system for a long time. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we remember back to days of yore with Jake Peavy and Dennis Tankersley and oh, Sean wow. Burroughs and X Nady coming through the organization. We remember, uh, you know, in 2012, they were really aggressive and, and drafted Max Freed and, 
some other uh, high school pitchers who who had real upside. But what what we see right now and that we've been writing about on the site and and on our Twitter feed over the last couple of years is you have a remarkable combination of real high-end talent, the Tatis Urias, uh, Francisco Mejia, who's the catcher they, they acquired from the Twins last year, Gore, Paddock, who are, who are already performing at a really high level, who are really close to the minors, to, to the big leagues. And at the same time, a ton of depth of guys who nobody in, you know, is talking about on a national level, guys like Agustin Ruiz, and uh, catcher uh, Viscata, who are still really young, who haven't really put it together yet, who, if you were looking at some organizations around the big leagues right now, those are guys who you'd say, hey, that's a player to watch in 2019 who could break out, who just disappear into the laundry list of guys that, that the Padres have. And so you've got that combination of really high-end talent, and an amount of depth that's really uncommon. When you put those two together, it's uh, it, it's not hard to see why they really the only other organization that that has that combination right now is Tampa, and I think even they just don't have the same amount of high end uh, ready to go big league talent. So there's a lot to like in what the Padres are doing, not just for for 2020, but really of, of five, six-year run from there. David J. Uh, with the Mad Friars. Learn more, madfriars.com. Great website if you want to learn about the Padre prospects, the ones that are maybe coming here, the ones that are a little bit behind, that are soon going to be coming through here. You can learn about all these guys. It's a great time to look at the Padres' farm system. A lot of great talent there. And David, if you ever come to town, uh, I am told about Arby's. And I think we have a couple, so I think you're I think you're in good shape. Uh, you, we we can go eat at Arby's when you come to Amarillo. No, we're taking him to the Perfect. Big Texan. Yeah, we're taking you there to the you Big Texan. See if you can take on that seventy-two ounce steak. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, put what you'll see on our site just just for folks who are trying to get a read on what the system has uh, during the season. You'll see every day a wrap up of of what's gone on. Who are the key names to follow at each level? Uh, so, so you get your fan base there can get up to speed pretty quickly, not just on what you're seeing this year, but what you should expect in the coming years. So, uh, and food reports from every town. Uh, <laughs> so, so we'll look forward to that as well. The guy is David J. The website madfriars.com on Twitter at madfriars. David, thank you once again for joining us. Loved all the information. Even more excited now yeah. about sod poodles baseball here in Amarillo. Well, thanks so much, Tom. Thanks, David. We really uh, we're looking forward to getting to be part of the community out there. All right, thank you for your time, man. Thanks again to David J for joining us on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast Sod Poodle Spotlight. Don't forget, if you want to know more about the players that may potentially be stepping foot into Hodge Town this year and beyond, check out MadFriars.com. Follow them on Twitter at MadFriars. A lot of good information there from David J and the others that contribute to that website. 
want to thank you again for listening to this edition of the Sod Poodles Spotlight. Be on the lookout for a new episode next week. I think David and I are going to finally do our bold predictions episode. I got one right now. I still got to get a few more. David says he has a couple. I look forward to hearing what he has to say. Maybe you guys got some bold predictions too. Hit us up on our Twitter page at TomTalksBBP. Like us on Facebook, Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. And we will talk to you again next week. I'm Tom Young, and we're getting closer and closer to baseball. Have a wonderful week.